Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here again, and we're going to look at Psalm 91. I don't think I'll ever look at this psalm the same way again, and it's been such a joy to, to read it. Well, when you were a kid and when you had your little kids, the game of hide-and-seek was a really popular one. Kids love to be able to, to hide somewhere where somebody can't find them. They hide from a seeker, and the game played so innocently by children is enjoyed. But children grow up, and often they're unaware of the one who would seek to do them harm. I read a story this week that just broke my heart. It was called Sarah's Key. And it told of the Rafle du Vel Dive. Isn't that beautiful French? Excuse me. It's the name for the July 16, 1942 raid. It was called Operation Spring Breeze, if you can believe that. Nazis, during their occupation of France, rounded up ordinary French citizens in Paris, and it was aimed at reducing the Jewish population. And the victims were sent to a concentration camp and then to Auschwitz, and Sarah was the voice of the book. She described the, the night the seekers came to take their family away. And she hid her little three-year-old brother in a cupboard and told him that she returned for him, thinking that they would return, not knowing what was going on. Nobody had told her. She had no idea what was happening. She locked the closet with her and took her key. And then her parents and her were taken to the velodrome, which is a large arena-type building with a glass roof to await their faith. And the story is told 60 years later through an American journalist who uncovers the story. I thought of the cupboard, which was supposed to be a place of refuge for that little boy. And then I thought of our psalm today, and it's titled, My Refuge and My Fortress. The psalm could be really called a refuge for the divinely guided soul, because that's what it's describing, someone who's trusting the Lord. And the theme is the place of protection God can provide. The word refuge and fortress used in the psalm really describe our God. So let's begin. If you'll take your Bibles, Psalm 91, we'll read it through. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Now that's the King James, and that's what maybe a lot of you are familiar with, but I've got the ESV here. So it says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague, plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. 
I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray. Father, this is your word, and we're going to study it now. And I pray that you'll hide me and hear it. And the words that I say will be words that will draw us closer to you and help us to see what a great God you are. So continue with us now. Give us clarity. Give us listening ears, open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. A basic outline of the psalm begins with a declaration of faith. In verses 1 and 2, it states the faith of the one speaking. And then in verses 3 to 13, there's a description of the need for that protection and from what. And then the final verses, the voice of God is heard. So, we don't have a title who wrote it. It may have been perhaps a Levite or a prophet declaring to the king that these are the promises of God's protection. This psalm could be presented at the crowning of a king. But as we read it, we see everybody could claim it. In verse 1, the psalmist is saying here that there is a place for one to dwell. Well, what is it to dwell somewhere? It can mean where we live, but it can mean where we place our thoughts. We can dwell on certain things, can't we? It's our way of thinking. It can be a place of happiness and security, or it can be one of unhappiness and anxiety or dissatisfaction. But this person says there's a place to dwell where there is safety and peace. Deuteronomy 33 and 27 says, The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. I remember that the first time I flew. Um, a dear little old 90-year-old lady at the church I was at, when I told her I was a bit nervous, that's the verse she quoted to me. It was kind of neat because I thought, yeah, he's holding up the plane. Well, not really, but <laughs> she knew what she was saying. Well, this writer declares his own faith, and he uses four titles of God. Now look in verses 1 and 2. Do you see what he's calling God? Most High, Almighty, Shaddai, the Lord, Yahweh, and my God, the most personal uh, ref, you know, title of all, my God. The shelter of the Most High in this context means his temple, his holy place, his righteous place, a faithful place, an upright place. And it is meant to be the temple, although the, show, the Lord showed his presence not just in the temple, but wherever Israel was and had needs. The terminology was used in many of the Psalms. For instance, Psalm 36 and 7, How precious is your steadfast love, O God! The children of mankind take their refuge, where? In the shadow of your wings. Another Psalm, 64 and 4, it says, Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. God's presence was in the tent where the ark was, but he also saw his presence was wherever Israel was. So the shelter and the shadow of the wings are used to describe God's attentiveness and his concern and love for us. But as we read on, there's a change, a change from my refuge, my God, to you or your in verses 3 to 13. And the writer is spelling out for each of us the aspects of the truth he's just declared in verses 1 and 2, and he's saying it's available to whoever would put their trust in God and was abiding or dwelling in him. 
So verses 3 to 6, oh, there's going to be deliverance and coverage. Verses 3 to 6 are descriptions of dangers or perils that call for protection. The snare of the fowler, likely a metaphor for plots or human scheming, and a, a way an enemy could look for a way to trap. Now David certainly had plenty of those, didn't he? Plenty of enemies. The deadly pestilence, that's diseases or epidemics that can devastate an army or a people. We're under a pestilence right now, aren't we, with COVID? And we're going to look a little bit later at verse 10 and talk about that some more. Well, verse 4, look at this again. More wing language. Using the imagery of God caring for his people. In Deuteronomy 32, 10 and 11, there's a lovely description which describes God caring for Israel, just like an eagle caring for its, its young. Listen to the language from Deuteronomy. He, that's God, found him in a desert land. Him is Israel. God often referred to Israel as my son. I call my son out of Egypt. He found him in a desert land and the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. And I looked up pinions. I looked up Google and said, what are pinions? Pinions are flight feathers. The Latin is penae volatis. Are you impressed with Latin? They're the long, stiff, asymmetrically shaped, but symmetrically paired, panaceous feathers on the wings or tail of a bird. The primary function of the flight feathers is to aid in the generation of both thrust and lift, thereby enabling flight. And I looked at it, and you know what I thought about? As soon as I read that, I thought about Isaiah 40 and 31. You know it. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That word pinion was used specifically by the Lord so that we'd look it up and we would understand what happens when we call on him. How many times have you been so down and so exhausted and you just felt worn out and you went and spent time with him and talked to him and you came away feeling like you could fly again? It's a beautiful description. It's a picture of this most wonderful, gracious, caring God, the most high God. Now, verse 4 continues. It says, His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. And we're talking now military armor, because verses 5 and 6, talking shield and buckler. A buckler was a large portable shield worn on the left arm. But the meaning here is that the faithfulness of God is the shield, and the faithfulness is his word and his promises. That's our shield. That's why it's so important for us to know his word, because that is how we will live, how we will trust him, knowing his word, knowing where our protection is, and knowing why we have that protection, because our commitment to him, as he drew us to him, he's made promises to us. He loves us. Verse 5 you will not fear the terror of the night nor the arrow that flies by day. Now maybe the writer is thinking back to night attacks or the arrow that flies by day. But he goes on, he says, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. 
You'll not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness. Well, what is pestilence? In the Bible, pestilence is usually a sign of God's judgment on a nation or a people. The God who protects and blesses is also the God who can send disaster and pestilence when it accomplishes his righteous purpose on earth. And if you want to read an interesting account of how God gave David three choices after he had sinned again, and those choices, one was a pestilence. And if you want to look it up sometimes, Second Samuel chapter 24, you can read about the pestilence and how many people God actually killed because of sin. Well, let's get back to verse 6. The destruction that wastes at noonday. One commentator mentioned that it could be sunstroke. It seems feasible. I mean, an army out under a heat could easily be overcome without shade. Well, remember, now the, the admonition here in this psalm is that if one dwells in the shelter of the Almighty, he or she or they would be delivered from the fear of these things. In verse 7 and 8, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. When I last taught, I told you about George's uncle, Al Alonzo, and his experience during the war. But before he went to war, he told the family the Lord had given him a verse. Now, I can't say I've ever had a verse where I, I could say I claim that verse. I certainly know people who have. But I've been encouraged and had my faith and trust affirmed as I've read specific passages or heard a passage preach that really has spoken to me. But Uncle Alonzo, Uncle Alonzo, or Al as they called him, claimed that verse 7 as he went to war was the verse God had given him. And he experienced a lot in that prisoner of war camp. But he came back from the war. Now was that verse assigned to him? Like do we use the word of God as a talisman or a charm? I don't think it's meant to be used that way. But certainly in that contest, context, Israel saw it happen. Thousands falling in battle, sometimes not even in battle. In the next verse, that is just what happened. Because look at verse 8. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. When did they look with their eyes? Maybe the psalmist was remembering the exodus from Egypt. In Exodus 14, there's a description of the Red Sea parting, you know the story, and allowing Israel to walk through under dry land. And after they got across, God caused the Red Sea to return and drown the Egyptians. There's an interesting description of Israel in verse 30 of Exodus 14, and it reads, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Now that verse 8 finishes by saying, you will see the recompense of the wicked. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. The word recompense, one of the meanings, is compensation. In other words, God doesn't take sides, but he sees that justice is done to people who are faithless in their relationship. But more, not just faithless, against him. And the Egyptians were against God. They had their idols. 
and they shook their fist in the face of God, and you don't do that. And so the recompense for them was their destruction. And look at verse 9. He's going to reiterate again. He's going to concentrate on saying what he really wants the reader to know. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. Now the writer is reiterating the truth about what provides the protection or who. He's saying, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, and I've had to ask myself the question so many times during these months, am I trusting him? Do I believe he's in control of this world? Did he send COVID? Is he our dwelling place? Do you know for certainty you're trusting him as your savior? Are your thoughts of him loving? I've asked myself, am I spending time with him each day? Are the decisions I'm making based on his word? And am I committed to serving him? And what if evils or trials do come? Can I say, can you say with a certainty what Paul says in Romans 8 and 28? And we know that for those who love God, all things, and those all things really struck me. I repeat them. All things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Are you, am I in a position right now where, doubt, where we're doubting? Maybe not your salvation, but the situation you find yourselves in. We talk about callings, and often we just limit those to pastors or missionaries. They're called. But you know, God calls us to different paths in life. He has a particular calling, however, for his children. And that portion in Romans goes on to say that those he foreknew, he predestined. He predestined to be something. And you know what it is? Conformed to the image of his son. How are we showing that image? I've had to ask myself that over and over. It's so easy to go into the store and get angry when there's things that I don't agree with. It's so hard to adjust to rules. And it's just hard on our nerves, isn't it? And then, and then we can just come across as no different from the world. It was really interesting this week. I put a magazine rack on the auction and the lady bid. And when she came to collect it, she ran into our garage door. I didn't hear it, I was in the house, and then I hear this, because I'd left the, the magazine rack on the porch in a bin. And so she came, you know, ringing the doorbell, and I went to the door, and she's just so upset, so she said, I haven't dinged it, but when I went to try to open the door, it couldn't, it opened halfway up. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and she gave me her phone number. You know, she could have driven off, I would have been not known until I went to open the garage door. And I just was so thankful because you know what? I just smiled at her and said, it's okay, it's okay. Well, I'm so sorry. So she gave me her phone number and then we called a garage guy. And he came within a couple of hours and he fixed the thing. I was just so thankful. He had to put a new brace in. But you know, it was $96. And that was really an expensive magazine rack for her. <laughs> because right away, as soon as I phoned her and said, sorry to tell you this, and I just thought, you know, I was thankful that I wasn't fretful, that I didn't react, and, and I think years ago, the old me might have reacted differently, but I was just glad to be able to look at that, and that wasn't the end of the world. 
And, and I find myself doing that these days, no matter what, if I have to spend more money on something. I think it's only money, you know? And I, I know that sounds trite, because I know there are people, you know, that are counting every penny. But I just think if we just dwell on the fact that God is protecting us, he's, he's looking after us, he's going to provide for us. That's my little story. Anyway, the writer has reminded us, because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall, be, shall befall you. And I, I've been reading some of, of the treasury of David. Charles Spurgeon. I mean, this man was so poetic and, and just so beautiful when he's writing. And this very verse, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. Listen to what he says. Before expounding these verses, I cannot refrain from recording a personal incident illustrating their power to soothe the heart when they're applied by the Holy Spirit. In the year 1854, when I had scarcely been in London 12 months, the neighborhood in which I labored was visited by Asiatic cholera. Now, cholera, I think, was called the Black Death, if I'm not mistaken. I wasn't there then. And my congregation suffered from its inroads. Family after family summoned me to the bedside of the smitten, and almost every day I was called to visit the grave I gave myself up with youthful ardor to the visitation of the sick and was sent to all corners of the district by persons of all ranks and religions. I became weary in body and sick at heart. My friends seemed falling one by one, and I felt or fancied that I was sickening like those around me. A little more work and weeping would have laid me low among the rest. I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear, and I was ready to sink under it. As God would have it, I was returning mournfully home from a funeral, when my curiosity led me to read a paper which was wafered up in a shoemaker's window in the Dover Road. It did not look like a trade announcement, nor was it, for it, it bore in a good, bold handwriting these words, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. The effect upon my heart was immediate. Faith appropriated the passage as her own. I felt secure, refreshed, girt with immortality. I went on with my visitation of the dying in a calm and peaceful spirit. I felt no fear of evil, and I suffered no harm. The providence which moved the, the tradesman to place these verses in his window, I gratefully acknowledge, and in the remembrance of its marvelous power, I adore the Lord my God. I thought, what a marvelous power that was, and, and a plan that he could see that in his window. Well, let's go on to verses 11 and 12. These are interesting verses. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they shall bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And we know those words were the words Satan used in Matthew 4 and 6 as he challenged Jesus to throw himself off the temple. And he used these verses. Of course, he omitted the part that said to guard you in all your ways. Satan was saying to Jesus, prove to me you are who you said and that God loves you and will rescue you. But Jesus rebuked him and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Jesus already had that assurance of who he was. And the simple explanation of verse 12 in this context is that just as the angels ministered to Jesus back then, we have God's promise of protection. The angels minister to us. And so I was thinking too about taking that a step further, but we don't have the time to spend on all these different things. There's so much in this psalm. But just to say to you that I do believe God does dispatch his angels. Maybe we can't see them, but I do think he has said in his word that round about and camped about are the angels and camped about us at times. And I, I only remember one thing that happened to me many years ago when my little niece was, she was dying of bone cancer in Princess Margaret. And I went to stay with my sister-in-law because we knew she was getting near the end. And that little girl was just, just, I can't put it in the right way to say that she was just burning up with a fever. And her mom was sitting there spooning a little bit of crushed ice now and again into her mouth. And the nurses would come in, all dressed in their lovely clothes. It was the children's ward at that point. And they were dressed in pink and green, all the pastel colors. And all of a sudden, that little one, she's 12 years old now, she had made a profession. And she kept saying in her fevered way, who are these in white? Who are all these in white? And my sister-in-law said, honey, there's nobody here in white. And she kept saying it. And it dawned on me. And I said to my sister, yeah, they are. But we can't see them. And it just moves me every time I think of that. Because how many times do we have protection from the Lord and we don't even know it? He's so good to us. Well, the ways that God guards us, it says here, he will guard you in all your ways. What ways? What ways? Ways of faith. Ways of godliness. There's the ways that we're going to be guarded. That's the promise. He will guard you in all your ways, but not all your ways. If some of those ways are sinful, you can't depend on him to get you out of a scrape that you put yourself into. Now, he will. Mercifully, he will. And there's times we've allowed ourselves to get into situations and he's just come along and shown mercy. But we can't... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? We can't just expect that if we go out and do something that's really against his word, he's going to guard us if we're in disobedience. So we have to be walking in ways of faith and that faith needs to be left out and God lived out and God will guard us. Verse 13, where we see all these animals mentioned. There's present dangers. It could be encountered as one was walking through a canyon. If you step on a stone in the wrong way, it could throw your balance off and send you hurtling into the canyon. Psalm 23 gives us a good picture of all that. Well, now the voice changes. If you look at verse 14 to the end, someone else is speaking, and it's God. And it's going to be a declaration of divine faithfulness. It started out with that assertion of human faith from the psalmist who's writing it. But now it's going to end in a declaration of divine faithfulness. And God's declaring what he does with those who seek him. In verses 14 to 16, we hear God's voice. Just listen as he speaks. Behold, he holds fast because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him 
because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And you know, there's eight things here in those verses, eight elements of his care. Just, just look at me, look, at, look, at, look with me. I will deliver him, number one. You see that there in 14? I will protect him, right there, because he knows my name. I will be with him in trouble. I will answer him. I missed that one, didn't I? When he calls to me, I will answer him. And then I will be with him in trouble. And I will rescue him. And then I will honor him. And then with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So these last three blessings, honoring and satisfying and salvation, you know, the best is yet to come. Psalm 23 says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Romans 8 is another one. In 8 and 18, it says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Now, not only has God promised to be our refuge here while we live out this life, but he says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Those are precious promises. I mean, we have the Lord right now, and we, we know that every morning his mercies are new. But I think when we get to glory, it's going to amaze us what's waiting for us. We just don't think enough about it. We're just so tired to the earth, and that's understandable. I just, you know, my daughter phoned me up one morning, and she said, I'm ready to go, but if I want to I take everybody with me. <laughs> and that's true, isn't it? When you have your little kids, we know what lays ahead of us. And it's a wonderful thing to have that hope. So what do we take away from studying this psalm? We started out talking about hiding and seeking. We need to really reaffirm our commitment to the Lord, dwelling in the shelter of the Almighty, so that we have his protection. You know, Peter wrote it so well. He said, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded and alert because you see there's another seeker. And Peter goes on to describe who that seeker is. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith. But we can't do it on our own. We have to rely on the Lord. We have to go to him. We have to cry to him. We have a Savior who is victorious, and he's promised his strength to us through the Holy Spirit, and it's available. But it can't be if we hold him afar off. We have to meet with him and cry out to him. And so this morning, as we finish this psalm, I just pray for each and one of you that you're dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. You're abiding in his shadow. I just, I, I won't look at this psalm again the same way, just thinking about all this. But I pray that as we spend the rest of these days, these weeks, under the COVID curse, I call it, that we will just have a sense of who he is and what he's going to do through it. I think he's doing some good things. I said to one of the ladies this morning, he's closing a lot of restaurants at 
10 o'clock. I was looking at the Halton Hills, um, which is good because people should be home at 10 o'clock if they're getting up for work the next morning. Um, places should be clean. We should be washing our hands. I mean, that's an old rule anyway. There's a lot of things. Families need to draw back to being a family, to taking time to know each other. So there's good things that are coming out of it. So next week, um, we're going to hear Barb as she comes to us with Psalm 103. And, and right now, I want to just say this to those listening on the podcast. You have a real advantage because you know what? You can get together one-on-one or two-on-one or whatever and study this together and have your discussions. We can't do this right here. And I know some of you would love the format. Some, some of you have said to me, you'd love the format where we could be interactive and talk, but we can't. But I do want you to know that the women who prepare these lessons spend hours. I'm so thankful for these teachers that, that have committed to do this, to look at the word and try to bring it to you. So pray for us. Just a little heads up. In January, we're going to be studying the book of Matthew. We're going to start in January, and we'll do it in two parts because there's so much to learn, and it's an incredible book. So that's the hope for 2021. See how far ahead I'm looking. From January to May, we'll do Matthew. And then in September, if the Lord hasn't returned, because you know he is going to come back, <laughs> but in September to December, we'll finish Matthew. So those are our hopes and our vision. Just keep praying for us. Keep praying as we seek to find teachers and approach them that they're, they're willing. And I'm just so thankful for those that have helped us. So let's just close in prayer. and You can continue on talking here. And to all those of you in podcast land, I appreciate that you're listening. And I think if you wanted to drop us a little line and say that you're listening, let us know even how the quality is of the broadcast. I'm sitting here with a phone in front of me, hoping it's recording properly. So let's just close in prayer. Father God, we just thank you. Most high God, all those names, so fitting because you are most high. We just thank you, Father, that you are our El Shaddai. You're our Yahweh. You're our God. Where would we be without you? Where would we be? Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love. We thank you for those of our sisters here and those who are listening. The bond that we have in you, what a bond, Lord because we trust you, you sought us, you called us to yourself. You gave us the words of life. You caused us to be able to respond to you. And for that, we're so grateful. We say thank you in our little language, and it's so puny, because you are incredible. So we pray for these women today. We pray for those. We've already had our time of prayer here, where we've prayed for those. You know the ones in your congregation who need who need your healing, Lord, and there are those that are in dire need of healing. We pray that you'll watch over those who are going through hard times. We pray for those young mothers. We've had new babies come, and oh, Lord, we just pray for them. Continue with us this week. Continue with us as we go day by day. Help us to start our day with you, to trust you, to know that you're going with us. Again, we just thank you for your gifts. In Jesus' name, amen.